1: It's good to see you all here. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us in person. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online, whether it's live watching online or whether you're watching or listening at some point throughout the week. Just know that we're so grateful to be able to dive into God's Word together and we're so excited to be able to see what He has for each and every one of us. As Michelle mentioned um, in that video, that we're in this both and series. And the concept behind this stems from a conversation I had uh, a year ago with this idea of the tension. Of, of both really good things and really hard things that permeates throughout our lives, especially highlighted in a Christmas season. So last week we talked about how we want everything to look like it's ideal. We have a, a perfect Christmas card photo, but then we recognize all the chaos that it takes to take that picture and recognize that we want everything to seem ideal, but there's also this fact that there's very real difficulty, challenges, experiences that we all have and how we want to navigate how to find hope that we can have an ideal relationship with Jesus Christ but recognize that sin is very real and so we need a hope that is real as well. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna be looking at peace today. We're gonna be looking at joy and navigating traditions we have, as well as transitions when those traditions are changing or moving and how to find joy in the change. Then also looking at love and the idea of how this is both the most wonderful time of the year and for many of us, it is an incredibly painful and and sad and, and difficult time of the year as well. So acknowledging that there's a tension, that Christmas can both be amazing And hard and acknowledge that it's because of that tension that we live in that we long for need and crave hope peace joy and love it's also an opportunity for us to do this dynamic where we're looking at something that happens in the Old Testament that Jesus describes the fulfillment that he brings for those different things so last time it was the idea that in the same way that through all people They all died through the one man Adam, so in Christ all will be made alive. And so it's this idea of both the Old Testament and the New Testament are one cohesive story about God who loves his people even when we rebel, and he wants to restore shalom, restore that peace, that right relationship to be made whole and complete, and the relationship that we have always been designed to have with God but because of sin has caused us to fall short and be separated from him. So it's acknowledging that God's word is cohesive, that both the old and the new point us to Christ, that the old is Christ concealed and the new Testament is Christ revealed, and how we look at both of those things in order to acknowledge the importance of this season. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 24 when we start. I'm going to pray in a moment, but before we do, um, if you're Matthew 24, you can join online. There's the Bible tab you can click. If you're here in person, there's a Bible um, in the seat in front of you and below you. And I want to just take a quick shout out. I want to thank the men's roundtable, our group that meet on uh, Saturday morning, that if you notice, we'll say things in our announcement videos like, Go ahead and fill out the cards in front of you. And some of you have gently and kindly acknowledged, hey, those cards aren't there for the past couple of months. We've run out of them. And uh, the men's round table and Ron Henniger, they put together the time yesterday after their group to put the cards in each one. They put a Bible under each. And so I just want to acknowledge and thank the men of the round table on Saturday morning for helping that. Be ready for our services to help people get connected, whether it's through connection cards, whether it's through prayer request cards, or whether it's through God's word and having a Bible readily available. So with that said, we're gonna jump into Matthew 24 shortly after our prayer. So will you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready for what God has for us? Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who is part of our service right now, Lord, whether live in person, live online, or watching or listening on demand throughout the week. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us in a way that only you can. Lord, I don't know what everyone's coming into this morning with or this service with, whether it's uh, different stressors we have, different anxieties, different things that are on our list, but Lord, I pray that you would permeate our stressed Um, feelings right now, God, and that we would feel your peace in the midst of it. Lord, I pray that your peace that surpasses all understanding would come upon us now, Lord, as we bring up our prayer requests to you in thanksgiving, Lord. And God, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, and you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray, amen. So I was uh, under the weather this week, which, by the way, Not now, but if someone could explain to me at some point what under the weather means, because we're technically always under weather, I don't get it. So anyways, I was under the weather this week and I didn't quite, you know, wasn't feeling well. And so as we're, you know, I wasn't able to come into work and study as much. So I was, you know, on what we often do sometimes, we're not feeling well. You go on a screen. I was watching uh, soccer for a little bit during the World Cup and then I ended up um, you know, looking through uh, social media and stuff like that, and then resting a lot to try to feel better. But there was a graphic that I saw, an image that I saw on Facebook that I thought um, typified some of the feelings that maybe some of us have. Because our sermon topic today, if last week was both ideal and real and about hope, this is called both blessed and stressed, and it's about peace. It's acknowledging that this is a season where we all have our lists of things that need to get done. And we think about, okay, we need to buy Christmas cards. Well, first we need to take the Christmas photos. We need to buy Christmas cards. We need to plan the different meals. We need to make sure we have all the presents available. We need to plan all 17 of our Christmas holiday parties that are happening in one month. We need to be able to navigate who we send everything to. We need to make sure that everything is clean for when people come over. Who do we invite? Anyone else just getting stressed just thinking about it? And I was looking through uh, social media. I saw this uh, picture on Facebook that I felt um, resonate with me and maybe resonates with some of us as well when it comes to stress and anxiety in the Christmas season. It says this. It says, time to switch from my everyday anxiety to my fancy Christmas anxiety. There's another one that's very similar where it's um, a bunch. It's like a... uh, It says, like, normal anxiety, and it has, like, all these little, like, lines, like, you know, in your mind, you can't think think clearly. Everything's a jumble, like a, like, picture, like, an electrical wire that's all, like, rooped up, and you can't get out. And then it says, this is my regular anxiety. And then it says, my Christmas anxiety. And it's the exact same picture, except for, like, five Christmas lights on the ends of those strings. And so it's just, we're festive, but also this is crazy stressful in this time. And it's acknowledging that all of us come into this season feeling stressed. And so it's recognized what that looks like. And so BetterHelp, which is an online um, counseling website, uh, they did a survey in November of 2022. So this is like hot off the presses or whatever the internet equivalent is of hot off the presses, a very recent data of a thousand adults that were surveyed for this. And here are the results they talk about when it comes to their expectation of how their mental health, their anxiety, their stress will be impacted during the holiday season. So the first thing we look at here is that 72% expect negative impact on mental health this winter. So the whole winter, so 720 people out of 1,000 were saying, I expect this to not be helpful for me. 45% expect negative impact on mental health, specifically during the holidays. So there's the winter as a whole, but then specifically regarding holiday activities, over 45% were feeling specifically stressed about that. Now, 46% feel that it's due to financial stress. How are we gonna have enough money for presents? How are we gonna have enough money if we're going to travel and gas prices? How are we gonna make sure that we have enough to even just pay our normal bills when all of a sudden Christmas parties and Christmas bills and Christmas activities add up? It's 46% will feel extra decline of, um, increase of stress, decline of mental health due to financial stress. 28% due to family dynamics. It's recognizing, okay, we're gonna have all of the relatives here. And we know that you know, brother one and sister two always butt heads. And so how do we navigate that? Do we have them sit at opposite sides of the table? Do they have to go to separate tables? Do we schedule a different meal? Do we acknowledge that you know, we have everyone together but then there's gonna be that one sibling who just doesn't come. And then there's just this cloud that hangs over. There's relational and family dynamics that stress increases during this season. will be due to other stressors. Now, these other stressors, according to the survey, included making sure we do all the shopping, make sure we're spending what we need to spend, which I know sounds like financial, but it's still um, a separate thing in the sense of it's just all these things added up, and then even to cooking, the meals, all of the things together. It's acknowledging that when we're stressed, which according to this, many, many of us are, we need to navigate how we're going to respond to it, because we all experience stress. But how do we respond to stress? See if you're like me, you, you my initial thought is to want to find ways to relax. And I use that term specifically because I want, to, I want to just get away from my stress for a moment. I want to just relax. I don't want to have to think about all the different lists and so some of you are like when I'm stressed I want I get powered through to do lists and to check things off and others are like I want to make sure when I'm stressed I put a list somewhere far far away like that I don't look at so when we look at relaxation and we look at how many of us will respond to stress here's what that same data or that same survey tells us is that 55% will respond to stress by overindulging eating shopping or self-care or pampering so we think I'm really stressed right now. I'm only gonna eat one more batch of holiday cookies. I'm really stressed right now. I'm only gonna, I'm just gonna buy, I'm buying everything for everybody else. You know, I deserve to buy something for myself. And you buy, you spend money you don't have to buy gifts for yourself you don't need. It's self-care. It's thinking, not just self-care, like I need to eat well and sleep well. That's important, but it's like pampering. So I'm gonna go get a massage. I'm gonna go get nails done. Are these things bad and of themselves? No. But the idea is they're responding by overindulging, by acknowledging we want to go over and above what is healthy for us to do. 42% say they'll sleep more, which sounds great until you have kids and you realize that's not a thing. And then 35% will watch more TV or movies. So they're just going to, like I've, when I was sick, I just put on a screen and you just veg out. You just watch TV. And and some of this is together, right? You might be eating and shopping online using your phone while watching a TV on the screen. Like you might be doing all of them at once, but it's acknowledging that, you know, 30, uh, sorry, 35% of us will watch more TV and will watch more movies. Many of them are Hallmark Christmas movies, which I have to say they all end the same. It's happy. So 28% will scroll social media more. They'll just, again, veg, they'll turn off their minds, they'll relax, and they'll think that comparing themselves to everyone's best highlight reel and comparing that to their own blooper reel will somehow make us feel better about ourselves, which friends, it doesn't and it won't. 33%, only one in three people will actually talk to someone about their stress this, in this season two-thirds of us, statistically in this room, two-thirds of us will keep that little ball of Christmas light stress inside of us and will push it down. But it'll seep out in other ways, whether it's overindulging, whether it's spending, whether it's whatever it may be. Only one in three of us will actually talk to someone, a friend, anyone, family member, open up about it. And yet only 9%, one in 11 people, will actually help seek professional help or someone who has a counselor will entrust them enough to say I'm really struggling right now. So friends, in a space where if we just admit, hey, we're all stressed, we could say that and I could have two options for us. One, we could say, okay, we're all stressed. We're all in this together. Like, that's fine. Or we could say, we're all stressed. Why are we just okay with that? So when I'm stressed, I'll turn, you know, I might want to turn to some of those activities and I might want to relax. But I would like to Maybe share something that the Lord revealed and helped me with a few, several years ago now, actually. When I remember I was journaling and talking, you know, journaling and as I was praying to God, as I journal, just praying about how I'm stressed about things. There's a lot going on and I just want to relax. And I felt the Lord helped me understand something a little bit. That was when we want to, when we're stressed and we want to relax, we want to overindulge. We want to turn to other things to help fill that gap relaxation, the mindset behind that is to have mindlessness. I want to turn off my, my, my mind. I want to just turn on a screen. I'm going to turn off the, um, uh, the proper amount of indulgence so that I step over the line. I just want to be mindless. I don't want to worry or think about anything. But as I was journaling, he said, you know, relaxation is mindlessness. But what we need is rest, which is being mindful of God. True rest doesn't come from scrolling and spending and eating. True rest comes from reminding ourselves of who God is and finding our rest for our souls in him. Jesus doesn't say go to your phones when you are weary and heavily laden. He says come to me when you are weary and heavily laden and I will give you rest. I will give you rest for your souls. Come and learn from me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. See, when we are in need of, when we are stressed, do we relax and overindulge or do we rest and find peace in Christ? This is what we need to, what we need to unpack together because here's what we're going to look at today. We can be stressed about bad things, of course, but the bigger issue we have is that we can often get stressed when we're doing a lot of good things. We can get caught up in good things. Spending time with family on Christmas is a good thing. Showing generosity by giving gifts to people is a good thing. Finding ways financially to give to great projects like gifts for Jesus to help bless our missionaries across the world, that's a good thing. Finding ways to be able to spend more time with people is a good thing. But what happens and what can happen is that we, like the people we're going to learn in our story, we can get so caught up in good things, Christmas lists and otherwise, throughout every season, that we forget to do the right things. We often get stressed when we get caught up in good things, but we are blessed when we know, when we keep the main thing, the main thing. As Jesus said to Martha, it's like, you are worried and anxious about many things. But Mary has chosen the right. There are, was it important for Martha to be able to make the house hospitable for the Lord? Yeah, it's important. But if you're going to choose the stress and the busyness or being rest and blessed in peace with God, choose the right, the main thing. Keep the main thing main thing. So let's look at a couple of main things about peace that we're going to unpack through our passage as well as through some of the context in our story today. So the first thing that we're going to look at here is the idea that number one will tell us that we all need peace with God in every season. We need peace with God specifically in every season. Do we need peace as in absence of conflict? Sure, we would love that. But when we see in that video the idea that peace is completeness, it's wholeness. We need to be whole in our relationship with God at all times. Advent may be the time that we are reminded of it. It might be the time that we have sermons where it says, hey, be at peace while you're also incredibly stressed and think, oh, that's a good idea. But we need peace with God at all seasons. And so we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is having a sermon right before his, excuse me, before his death. And so in this sermon, people ask him, like, what what are the signs for the end of the age? And we've actually looked at some of this. It's called the Olivet Discourse. And it's a sermon that comes from Matthew 24 through Matthew 25. If you're with us in our Generous Life series, we looked through a few of the passages in Matthew 25. And so this is the earlier in that same sermon. And so Here's what we see, because in Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus tells us something very important about when they say, hey, when are we going to know the signs are coming? How do we know the end of the world or the day of the Lord's coming? What does it look like? And here's what he talks about, starting in verse 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Let's let's stop there for a second. This is something that um, I really... I struggle with as someone who's a pastor um, who has the honor to be able to preach is it, it irks me it bothers me when there are times when there are pastors or preachers or prophets who will say things like i know i've done the calculations and i know when the end of the world is coming because one so far all of them have been wrong but two it's biblically inaccurate to assume that we would know something that no one else knows. Not the angels in heaven. Not even Jesus. Jesus doesn't know if he's coming at 12.02 a.m. on March the 4th of you know, 2047. 20, let's give us more time. 24.07, right? No. But he, Jesus says he didn't even know. So when we think, oh, we are the ones who know when the end of the world's coming, biblically it shows us that no one knows. Friends, our job our role is not to figure out when the day of the Lord is coming. Friends, our calling is to live how God has called us to live, no matter when he's calling, no matter when the day of the Lord is coming. So a friend of mine, or a previous pastor I worked with at our youth ministry years ago at my previous church, he uh, shared this illustration. How many of you have seen the movie Elf, Christmas movie Elf? Uh, good, okay, first service there was like six people. I'm like, oh, this illustration's gonna fall real quick. But maybe you can remember this specific image a little bit more. There's a scene in which uh, Buddy the Elf, played by Will Ferrell, is in charge of, um, he's not doing a good job as being an elf, because he's not, and he ends up being kind of put in charge of testing the jack in the boxes. And if you can picture this scene, he's sitting there and he's got a stack of jack in the boxes on this side. He's got a stack on this side, presumably that he's already tested. He has a little notepad in front of him. And so he just pulls one. He goes like this. And he goes, do 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 And then as he's doing it, he goes, And it's like the jack in the box pops out, and he goes, that one works. Marks off that it works. Does it a second time. Do 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 it happens again. He gets startled every time. Behind the scenes note, the director was actually just sitting there and didn't tell Will Ferrell when he was doing it. So he actually didn't know. So all those reactions were, uh, were legitimate because the director just had a remote and would just try to scare him. Third time he does it, he grabs it. He goes do 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 Oh, that one doesn't work. And as he's writing, does goes, blah! And happens one more time. Here's the point, what we are called to do as Christians when it comes to what Jesus says, is we are called to be watchful of the signs, but not to try to figure out the exact when. We are called to live in such a way that it doesn't matter when it happens because how we live does not change. Which always living watchfully and faithfully and so, what are the signs? Well, Jesus outlays or lays them out in Matthew 24. But for our example, we just use the signs are this, because you all know it's supposed to be pop goes the weasel, right? Like you know when it's supposed to happen. But like that illustration, sometimes even when you think you understand the signs, it can surprise you. So the idea here is that we're not try to figure out and calculate the day. If Jesus doesn't know something, far be it from me to assume that I can. But recognizing that our job is not to do that. Instead, it's to live in such a way because here's the pattern that we've established last week and we're continuing throughout the series that in these, ser- these sermons, there are different times where there'll, there's four times in the New Testament that says as something in the Old Testament happened, so it will be because of Jesus. Or so Jesus fulfills it. Last time, as we talked about from 1 Corinthians 15, it was, as all died through the one man and the sin of the one man, so shall all be made alive through Christ Jesus. Here's this example. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. What does he mean by that? What does Jesus mean? He says, for in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, Those are all good things. Eating, drinking, being merry, they were going about their lives. Those were all good things. And yet they were missing what God was doing. Here's why we see that. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. Friends, we can be so caught up in good things eating drinking being married or being giving others off to marriage getting ready for christmas lists and celebrating this beautiful beautiful day we can do all a lot of good things and yet still miss the main thing the main thing is having a right relationship with jesus because as we read in our advent reading we acknowledge that the second advent the second coming of christ is coming and we do not know the day we do not know the hour and for all we know today could be the day and this could be the hour are you ready Am I ready? It says this. This or that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. I think sometimes if we have, if we, one of the ideas of wanting to calculate the win. It's because then we think, okay, if you have a deadline, if you know, if I could just make it to like this specific day and let's just say I'm like, okay, I'm not going to have any Christmas cookies until Christmas Eve. Like if I just created that, I'm not. But if I did and I would say, okay, if I could just do that, you know what I'm thinking more about? I'm thinking more about the Christmas cookies on Christmas Eve and all the things I can't or what I can't have until the day where all of a sudden I get to overindulge. When we have deadlines or we have dates or we have specifics, it causes us to think we're living a certain way for a season, for a little bit, temporarily. But if we don't know the day, we don't know the hour, we're called to just keep watching and keep faithful, then our mindset has to change from, I'm only going to watch what I eat until Christmas, to I better watch how I eat I want to see how, I want to live with peace, period. Not for a small season. I don't want to just be made right with God because I know a, t- a test is coming up. I'm going, to fall, I'm going to have that test. But the thing is, we never know when the Jesus will come back again or when our time on earth will end. So we live today, right now, as if the end could be at any moment. Max Lucado says it this way, and because of Bethlehem, Christmas devotional. If you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow, what would you do today? Then do it. Live in such a way that you would not have to change your plans. If you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow, would you still spend an hour scrolling social media today? Would you still try to buy everything on Amazon today? Would you still try to, whatever it is, or would you say, you know, what, what's really important for me to do today is to make sure I'm right with all the people I love most. That any impending conflict that's been going on, that's been emanating under the surface, I want to make sure that I'm, things are right between us. Doesn't mean things have to be perfect. Doesn't mean that all is perfect at all. But I want to tell my kids how deeply I love them. I want them to know that the only one who could possibly love my kids more than me and Steph is their Heavenly Father. I want to invest in relationships. If I knew Jesus was coming tomorrow, I want to love people well today. But since we don't know how many tomorrows we have, ought not we live that way today and every day? Live in such a way that you won't have to change your plans. So we can get caught up in good things. It's not wrong to have stress because of Christmas. What's wrong is when we allow the stress of Christmas to allow us to miss the blessing of Christmas. But we also need to know about peace, something that Jesus brings us, the peace we need. We need peace, that's number one. So number one shows us we need peace with God in every season. Number two is that Jesus brings us the peace we need. Jesus alone. Now, I'm going to ask you to walk through a little bit with me, and and I hope that this um, little uh, aside can maybe point us to something that encourages you. These are the kind of things when I study, I love diving into. And I know maybe not all of you will, but for those of you who do, hopefully it's encouraging as well. Because I love when I look at the whole story of the Bible and recognizing that there's one Holy Spirit One divinely inspired author, or excuse me, the Holy Spirit is the author, divinely inspiring dozens of people over thousands of years across three different continents through 66 different books in order to tell the story of how God wants to restore the shalom of a right relationship with his people no matter how much we wander. And so acknowledging that there are times when God's story connects between the old and the new in a way that we don't always see coming. And maybe it impacts us when we see the, um, the intricacy and the intentionality of what's been said, when it's said, where it's said. So we look here and we recognize that Jesus had already referred to the story of Noah. And so Noah Many of us know the story already, but the idea is: How do we know that he was he was told to be able to um, build the ark? Because all the inclinations of all the hearts of every people were evil always. That's what Genesis six says, and that is heavy. So God says, "I gotta, I gotta start over." And Noah found favor, and they were put in, and he create he built an ark according to the instructions that were given him from the Lord. And as he's building this ark, the people are going about their lives. They don't know anything different. And yet when the floods come, and for 40 days and 40 nights it rains, and then it takes over a year for all the waters to recede, whether you know the story or not of Noah, you know two things. One, you know that there are two of every animal that came, except for the clean animals. There are seven of those, but we don't need to worry about that. But there's at least two of every animal that came. Then you also know that there was one specific symbol that a dove brought back that showed us that the peace had been made between God and his people, that he would not cover the land with water anymore. There was the rainbow that was the sign of the covenant, but we saw this that was specifically referring to what happened when the dove was sent out. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then no one knew that the water had receded from the earth. I love God's word because it gives us specifics when it doesn't always seem specifics are necessary. Whether that was a balsam leaf or a birch leaf or a Canadian maple leaf, we don't really need to know. But it says an olive leaf. I wonder if there's a reason that maybe, maybe, Jesus is referring to this story at this time in the location he's at. I referred earlier that this is known as the Olivet Discourse. Here's why. Because in the beginning of Matthew 24, it sets the setting of where Jesus is sharing the story. Matthew 24, verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately, they said, tell us, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So we see that the olive branch, something that the olive branch becomes this universal symbol for peace. It's something that we see all the way back in Noah, that the dove brought an olive branch and it showed that the land, the waters had receded, and it symbolized peace between God and people. We see the rainbow that ends up showing the covenant, but then we see the olive branch with the Greek god Irene, which comes from the word Irene that we learned about in the video. Irene, and then also through the Roman counterpart, that goddess is named Pax. Both of them have an olive branch in their right hand. So for years, for thousands of years, an olive branch has shown us about peace. Now, why is this important that Jesus is at the Mount of Olives then? Well, the Mount of Olives was mentioned two specific times in the Old Testament. The first time it's mentioned is because David flees there after Absalom, his son, successfully revolts against him. And David has to flee and he has to leave. And it talks about how it's a time of great sorrow and it's a defeat that was embodied by him going to the Mount of Olives, which is just right outside to the east of Jerusalem. And so the second time that it's mentioned is in Zechariah 14, and that God will stand there on the day of the Lord. What what does this mean? Well, as one of the commentators I have, Kim Paffenroth says, let's go to the next slide, says the Mount of Olives thus held implications of both defeat and ultimate redemption. So Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience. He's talking to people who know that as he ties in the story of Noah, they're gonna think potentially about an olive branch. Is it possible that he said, I'm gonna tell you about, I'm gonna sit at a place that has a symbolism of death and a symbolism of ultimate redemption. The same place where David went when he was defeated and the same place where the the Lord would stand and then the day of the Lord would come. Is it possible that maybe Jesus wants the people in the first century to make the connection that peace comes, yes, after the destruction of a flood, that peace comes after defeat, but that there would be ultimate redemption. And is it possible that he says this when he said it because he was going to be arrested that night and that he was going to be defeated in the eyes of the world? He was going to die a horrible death, but that his death would bring ultimate redemption. Is it possible that if I were, if we were to say, hey, if Jesus were to come here and he was to come to America and he wanted to tell us about the freedom that we could have in Christ, in him, would we make a connection if he ends up showing up at the steps of Independence Hall in Philadelphia and says, I declare that you are independent and free from your sin have a relationship with me? Because we historically would acknowledge that that was the place where the Declaration of Independence was signed, that it was a different kind of independence, but that we make the connection that he's saying he's going to a specific location at a specific time with a specific message that he would be the fulfillment of. And then he says, I'm here, and I'm going to set you free. Is it possible that as Jesus is saying this at the Mount Olives, at the foot of Mount Olives, he's pointing people that even though they're going to experience a defeat, even though it's going to look like he's lost, there will be an ultimate redemption through which he alone can bring peace. Isaiah 52 verse 13 through 53 verse 12 is a story of the suffering servant. It's a prophecy of the Messiah, of Jesus, who ends up He suffers and it shows all this heartache and it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of the crucifixion and and, uh, resurrection about Jesus, but years and years and years and years before. Here's what he says that many of us know. We can only get peace from Jesus. Why? Because he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. As we saw early in Isaiah chapter 9 through the video earlier, we saw that we need a prince of shalom, a prince of peace. And to his peace, there would be no end. Jesus alone is the one who gives us the peace that we need with God. So we want to be right with others, but we also need to be right with God at all times because we don't know when our time will come. Lastly, We've just got a few minutes left and we'll close. Number three tells us this, that we are called to bring peace to others in need. That if we were just people who received the peace from Jesus and kept that to ourselves, how harmful and how sad that would be and how much we would lose an impact in our world. If we know that everyone needs peace and that we can only receive it from Jesus and we keep that good news to our holy huddles and to our safe four walls, then we are missing the call of the gospel. Jesus told them, he called them together and said, hey, you are going to go into every nation and baptize them and teach them to obey everything I've commanded them. He didn't say, now that you know the special knowledge, don't tell anybody, keep it to yourself You are the only people I love. No, no, no. We are called to bring peace. We saw that in the video. We are called to be givers of peace and people who help peace get restored, the peace of wholeness and completeness so that while we were once broken in our sin, we have been made whole with Christ through Christ to have a right relationship with God. And so when we see brokenness in others around us, we want to pass the shalom, pass the peace on to them. That we're not called to be peacekeepers. Peacekeepers are ones that there's two arguing sides. And you just say, can, can you guys just keep peace? Can you just not argue with you? This, this happens a lot maybe if you have kids. And it's just like, okay, can you just not argue? And can you just not argue? And what you create is not a true peace that actually brings people together again. You have a false peace that says, if everyone can just be quiet, then we'll be fine and peaceful. But when there's those times when everything is just separated and people are just kept peace or kept at peace, is there really a wholeness that ever develops out of that? No. We are called not to be peacekeepers, but to be peacemakers. As Matthew 5, Jesus' first sermon talks about, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the ones who go into a conflict and figure out how can we make peace on both sides? How can both sides leave with restoration, restitution, and be made whole? How is it that both sides in this dynamic can find peace? The shalom, the completeness, and the wholeness. Now, I recognize and I fully acknowledge that there are times that we may want peace, but peace may not be possible. I acknowledge that there are relationships that might be too far gone, that at this point, just trying to make it work all on your own won't work. And so that's why Romans 12 is important because it says this, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I love this caveat right here because as far as it depends on you, because there may be times where peace can't happen. Let's imagine at the end of the stage is a line and let's say I'm here and you all have conflict with me. Imagine, I hope it's not real. Um, let's imagine that there's a time where I'm like, okay, I really want to make things right. There are two ways I could handle that, right? I could say, well, you stay over there and I'm going to stay over here and, and you know, we'll just keep this awkward gap in between us. Or what Paul says is that as far as, as it is up to you, be at, live at peace. So I'm going to come up so as close as the dividing line as possible and say, can I extend an olive branch? Can I extend peace? Can we find a way to make peace where there is no peace, just like Jesus found a way to make a right relationship with us, with God, through him, when there was no way before? As far as it is up to us, and you would have full rights, or you would choose and you would make your decision if you extend that hand and we grasp hands, and as far as up to us, we will make things right and you could just as easily slap my hand away. But then I would be able to say, as far as it was up to me, I've done what I could. So this isn't a, a, a manipulative, hey, you all need to bend over backwards to the point where you're a, you're a, a doormat. This is not to say you don't have boundaries. You don't, ha- you don't provide boundaries around toxic people. This is not to say that you just allow yourself to be run over. It is to say that as far as it's up to you, Live at peace. That may mean that someone may slap you on the cheek and you, metaphorically, you allow them to slap you on the other. But it also means if someone keeps slapping you, you don't need to stay. Because as far as it's up to you, you can still draw a line. Okay? As far as it's up to you, live at peace with everyone. Because this world, as we just saw with those stats earlier, all of us are stressed. And somehow all of us are okay with it. All of us long for a peace that we might just accumulate or um, attribute to relaxation. We just want to break with mindlessness. But we all know now that we need to be at peace with God. Jesus is the only one to have the ability to give us peace. And we are called to be peacemakers and peace bringers to those around us in need. We can't keep this to ourselves. We get to share it with those around us. Henry Nowen shared this quotation from the devotional I'm reading this year, and he said, it is so important for the people around you, around me, to see the peace of Christ reflected in your eyes, your hands, and your words. There's more power in that than in all your teaching and organizing. That is the truth we need to keep telling each other. As much time as I might spend teaching and organizing a sermon and and figuring out how we're gonna present it and working on slides, it would be more impactful For me to be a person of peace, in the image of our Prince of Peace, through my eyes, through my words, through my hands, through how I live, what I say, how I speak, and how I view the world, to be people of peace, to be ambassadors of peace, to be people that no matter what tension we're going to experience over the next month, we would say, as far as it's up to me, I'm extending an olive branch. To be people who say, hey, if you're fighting and you're fighting, can we come together? Can I help make a peace? Rather than just try to keep you separate to keep a peace. To be people who have the internal peace. To know that no matter if God called me home tomorrow, I'd be at peace with him. Because of the relationship I have with Jesus Christ. And as we started off with an image that pointed us to how much stress we have. then we looked at the statistics. I I want to encourage us to look at one more image as we close this morning. That's less about its original Christmas list, but what the original list is things that need to be done. And what I would hope is that this list, as they edit it, as they change it, as you'll see in a moment, is a list of how we need to live. How can we be givers of peace and be lights in a dark world? Even if it's a tangled mess and we've got lights, we can still be light. To be people who bring peace to those around us. It says this, our Christmas to-do list. Instead of buying presents, it's to be present. Instead of wrapping gifts, we still, these are fine, but focus more on to wrap someone in a hug. Instead of sending gifts, send peace. Shop for food, maybe we would donate food. Instead of just seeing the lights in our neighborhoods, to be the light in our world. It's less about what we need to do and more about who we need to be. People have been changed by the peace of God to live in the peace of God, to invite others into the peace of God so we can all have the peace of being made whole and complete in God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service, whether they're live in person or live online or watching or listening later. Lord, I pray that um, we all have our lists, we all have our things that we're stressed about, we all have our dynamics, that we want to enjoy Christmas songs and we want to enjoy good food and good time with family and good um, traditions. But Lord, we also know that getting all the things done and all the expectations that we have for ourselves and that we think others have upon us cause us stress. Lord, I pray that as we all will experience different degrees of stress over the next couple of weeks, especially, Lord, instead of overindulging and turning to relaxation mindlessness, Lord, may we turn those screens off and turn our face towards you instead to be restful and be mindful of our relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with peace, that if there are people we need to make peace with, may you reveal that if there are tensions within our families that you want us to help be peacemakers because two other parties are arguing, may you reveal that. May we be called to live in your peace and to bring that peace to others around us who are in need as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening. So you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember, you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.